Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, Plato's Dream by Voltaire. This is uh, one of those so-called contes philosophiques, the uh, philosophical tales for which this uh, 18th century polymath is well known, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got another one, uh, Micromegas, I guess, is kind of similar in length and... Uh, uh, a proto-SF is how people, I think, probably classify it. I, I think in order to disguise, decide whether it's science fiction at all, we need to sort of know what what the story is. But uh, my own feeling, Jesse, is that it's so short but so dense that rather than uh, characterizing it, maybe the best thing would be for us to just go over it and read it out again. Sounds good. There's uh, two parts. There's the framing narrative in which uh, we hear uh, how the circumstances came to be. And then the, there is the dream itself. So why don't I read the first part and, and you do the dream itself? Carry on, my friend. All right, here we go. Plato was a great dreamer, as many others have been since his time. He dreamed that mankind were formerly double and that, as a punishment for their crimes, they were divided into male and female. He undertook to prove that there can be no more than five perfect worlds, because there are but five regular mathematical bodies. His republic was one of his principal dreams. He dreamed, moreover, that watching arises from sleep, and sleep from watching, and that a person who should attempt to look at an eclipse otherwise than in a pail of water would surely lose his sight. Dreams were, at that time, in great repute. Here follows one of his dreams, which is not one of his least interesting. He thought that the great Demiurgos, the eternal geometer, having people the immensity of space with innumerable globes, was willing to make a trial of the knowledge of the genii, who had been witnesses of his works. He gave to each of them a small portion of matter to arrange, nearly in the same manner as Phidias and Zeuxias, who had been given their scholars a statue to carve or a picture to paint. It may be allowed to compare small things to great. Demogorgon had for his lot the lump of mold which we call the earth, and having formed it, such as it now appears, he thought he had executed a masterpiece. He imagined he had silenced envy herself, and expected to receive the highest panergics, even from his brethren. But how great was his surprise when, at his next appearing among them, they received him with a general hiss. One among them, more satirical than the rest, accosted him thus. Truly, you have performed mighty feats. You have divided your world into two parts. And to prevent the one from having communication with the other, you have carefully placed a vast collection of waters between the two hemispheres. The inhabitants must perish with cold under both your poles and be scorched to death under the equator. You have, in your great prudence, formed immense deserts of sand so that all who travel over them may die with hunger and thirst. I have no fault to find with your cows, your sheep, your cocks, and your hens, but can never be reconciled to your serpents and your spiders. 
Your onions and your artichokes are very good things, but I cannot conceive what induced you to scatter such a heap of poisonous plants over the face of the earth unless it was to poison its inhabitants. Moreover, if I am not mistaken, you have created about 30 different kinds of monkeys, a still greater number of dogs, and only four or five species of the human race. It is true, indeed, you have bestowed on the latter of these animals a faculty by you called reason. But in truth, this same reason is a very ridiculous thing and borders very near upon folly. Besides, you do not seem to have shown any very great regard to this two-legged creature, seeing you have left him with so few means of defense, subjected him to so many disorders, and provided him with so few remedies, and formed him with such a multitude of passions, and so small a portion of wisdom or prudence to resist them, you certainly were not willing that there should remain any great number of these animals on the earth at once, for without reckoning the dangers to which you have exposed them, you have so ordered matters that taking every day through the year the smallpox will regularly carry off the tenth part of the species, and sister maladies will taint the springs of life in the nine remaining parts. And then, as if this was not sufficient, you have so disposed things that one half of those who survive will be occupied in going to law with the other or cutting one another's throats. Now, they must be under infinite obligations to you, and it must be owned you have executed a masterpiece. Demogorgon blushed. He was sensible there was much moral and physical evil in this affair, but still he insisted there was more good than ill in it. It is an easy matter to find fault, good folks, said the genii, but do you imagine it is so easy to form an animal who, having the gift of reason and free will, shall not sometimes abuse his liberty? Do you think that in rearing between nine and 10,000 different plants, it is so easy to prevent some few from having noxious qualities? Do you suppose that with a certain quantity of water and sand and mud, you could make a globe that should have neither seas nor deserts? As you are, my, as for you, my sneering friend, I think you have just finished the planet Jupiter. Let us see now what figure you make with your great belts and your long nights with four moons to enlighten them. Let us examine your worlds and see whether the inhabitants you have made are exempt from follies or diseases. Accordingly, the genii fell to examining the planet Jupiter when the laugh went strongly against the laugher. The laughter, the serious genii who had made the planet Saturn did not escape without his share of the censure and his brother operators, the makers of Mars, Mercury and Venus had each in his turn some reproaches to undergo. Several large volumes and a great number of pamphlets were written on this occasion. Smart sayings and witty repartees flew about on all sides. They railed against and ridiculed each other. And in short, the disputes were carried on with all the warmth of party heat. When the eternal demo Orgos thus imposed silence on them all in your several performances, there is both good and bad because you have a great share of understanding, but at the same time fall short of perfection. Your works will not endure above an hundred millions of years 
after which you will acquire more knowledge and perform much better. It belongs to me alone to create things perfect and immortal. This was the doctrine Plato taught his disciples. One of them, when he had finished his harangue, cried out, And so you then awoke? So, okay, Jesse, what does that mean? <laughs> the last little bit there, and so you then awoke. Um, <laughs> who is the demi-orgos, uh, not the dem yeah, the demi-gorgon in this case, right? <laughs> well, no, the demi-orgos at the end is the demi- No, not the demi-ergos, that's, right. I know who that is. But I think that, and so you then awoke, which is not in all versions of this story, um, is kind of a... An attack on Plato as well, as attack on uh, on the creator of the, the planet. It's right. a double attack. There, there's a real question about the versions of the story at all. I've, I've read it in the original. Um, in the original, it does actually say, et puis vous vous réveillez, um, which is, uh, and then you awakened yourself. And mm. uh, <laughs> uh, But it's not put as a question. It says, and then you awakened yourself, um, which is interesting. I mean, it is uh, true that to awaken is a, a reflexive verb in French, but it carries the implication that Plato, who is telling his dream to his disciples, Plato woke himself up, that he is somehow the master of his own world, but in fact, the world that he is the master of is a world of dream. And so what's the value of that? In the original French, it's not a question. It just says, and then you woke yourself up. Whereas the particular English version that we have says, and then you woke yourself up. <laughs> no. So I don't know, is the disciple thumbing his nose at Plato or is the disciple simply going one step further on Plato's dream? That is, Plato is saying, I have a dream in which uh, the demiorgos is a perfect geometrically creative uh, spirit, and the genii under him, including Demogorgon, um, can only create imperfectly. And the disciple is saying, yep, we get the dream, and you can create your dream perfectly, but you're imperfect in the world because you also are a human being. There's there's a there's a lot of satire going on here. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I first twigged to it. Um, in the line after he gives this sort of the crazy ideas of Plato in the first couple of uh, paragraphs. And then he ends it with dreams were at, at that time in great repute. <laughs> like this explains why these crazy ideas <laughs> haven't held any water for anybody. Well, uh, yes. Well, huh. I guess maybe you and I are disagreeing or maybe I'm, I'm, uh, moved by by the French. In the French, it says, uh, I'll translate as I go, uh, Plato dreamed a great deal, and one does not dream less since then. Hmm. That is, Plato not was sure a big, big dreamer, and people continue to like to dream. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not sure about whether or not we should think of... Uh, of these as crazy ideas, because uh, the crazy ideas that he has of Plato's that are that the narrator refers to include the Republic, which yeah. um, you know, a lot of people think is a pretty smart book. 
Oh, he's he's definitely smart, but uh, he's also I mean he's I love Plato. I think he's wonderful. I also think he's completely he's completely wrong about almost everything. Um, but one of the I mean one of the things it says right there in the first paragraph is that um, he dreamed that mankind was formerly double and that as a punishment for their crimes they were divided into male and female. Um, so in calling this Plato's dream, right, it's not his only dream. It's an example of a dream. Um, what he's really saying is sort of like, here's an idea of Plato's. And this is a way, I mean, what this this whole, it's not even really a short story. I'm not sure what it is. It's sort of a, a satire of just sort of mankind as gen- and, the, and their way of looking at the universe. It's it's a sort of an attack on that you would see in in Candide as well. It's it's an attack on sort of foolish ideas that humans have about their reality and their world. And uh, I mean uh, the 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 scorn that one of the genii heaps upon upon Demogorgon is 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 hilarious. The you, if I am not mistaken, you have created about thirty different kinds of monkeys. Why did you do that? Yeah, <laughs> so right. stupid. Oh. And a greater number of dogs, but only four you. or it's, five humans. It's funny. There's no doubt, and the satire is valid. I think, though, that that part of the point is um, Voltaire is telling us, and I think you're implying this. Uh, maybe you're even saying it explicitly. Um, human beings are flawed. Yes. And so what they're going to do is going to be flawed. Uh, in fact, one of the flaws, because we're projecting human characteristics onto the gene AI, um, one of the flaws is that they uh, like to ridicule other people. <laughs> and uh, and one of the other flaws is that when they make things, they reflect flaws. I should point out that in the um, in the translation we have, and there are different translations, they vary. Uh, it says that the humans were formerly double, but they were divided into male and female for their crimes. Mm-hmm. But the French word crime, uh, which means crime, is not the word in Voltaire's original. It is faute. Um, that is, they were divided for their faults. That is, yeah. it's their basic nature. Um, and this particular notion about them being double, that is uh, a myth that Socrates makes up in Plato's dialogue called the Symposium. Um, to answer the question, what is the origin of love? Um, by the way, there's a great, great song from uh, the rock musical Hedwig and the Angry Inch called The Origin of Love. You can find it on YouTube. Um, and it replays um, this thing from the symposium. It's really wonderful. The, the idea is that in the archetypal universe, up, you know, in this superlunary world where things are perfect and platonic forms rule, um, there were these beings with four arms and four legs and two faces. They were round. When they were really wanted to get going, they used their eight appendages to roll like crazy. Um, and they thought that they were so good. They were so self-contained. They were so happy um, that Zeus um, thought, you know, you guys are just, you're too damn self-satisfied. 
And so he punished them by dividing them in half. She wound up with two eyes, two arms, um, two legs, one face. And the place where the cut was to divide them in half, um, he pulled the skin around it, tied it up, and that's the origin of the belly button. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we've got we've got what was this perfect hermaphroditic being, uh, we get some males and some females. And those that were doubly male or those that were doubly female, um, we get some of those. And the origin of love is that we spend our entire lives looking for our missing half. Now, this is not a dream in symposium. It's, it's an allegory. It's a myth. Um, it's a way of making concrete and dramatizing the notion of that hunger for completeness that Plato sees as important for love. And so much of what Plato argues motivates human beings is a desire to come to some kind of perfection. And being sublunary, we can't get there. So I think it's very important that, that this Voltaire uh, story philosophical tale begins the very first dream is this one of of doubleness and it's it's the human condition that the universe has made us such that we are always seeking something that we can't get so then the very next thing is he undertook to prove that there could be no more than five perfect worlds because there are five regular mathematical bodies and this you know is true that is uh the so-called regular solids are um, the cube, um, uh, the icosahedron, the dodecahedron, the uh, the the uh, what call it, the four-sided pyramid. That is to say, um, shapes that are of equal sides and uh, equal faces come mm -hmm. together. And uh, Kepler. Um, uh, Yes, Kepler showed that if you inscribe one of these inside the others, they all share the same center point. Mm. Um, the ratio of their radii from the center will be exactly the ratio of the radii of the um, the five known planets from mm -hmm. from the sun. He used this to argue that the planets circled the sun. Um, Kepler was an astrologer as well as an astronomer. So Kepler writes before Voltaire, uh, this idea of a perfect geometer who is demiurgos, this infused Western thought. Mm -hmm. And of course, by the time Voltaire comes along, Copernicus has shown us that it's not quite right, that in fact, the radii don't match up exactly, although they did within the, the, uh, observations available to Kepler. In that way, this thing is kind of a commentary on the relationship between science and science fiction. Um, mm. I do think of it as sort of science fictional. And these these are ideas about how things are perfect, uh, but they're flawed. And, yeah. and that's the human condition. That's our universe. Well, one, one of the ways of looking at this is that it's it's attacking the same problem he's, he does in Candide. It's the problem of evil, right? If, if God is great and he's perfect and he created the universe, why is there so much evil in it? And I think that the answer is that, um, is that well, the one offered here by Voltaire, not Plato, right? This is not a true platonic dream. 
Uh, by the way, it does say his republic was one of his principal dreams. So when he says dreams, what he he's kind of saying is sort of crazy notions, right? Philosophies or ways of arguing in a philosophical sense. Whether they're true or not um, is sort of beside the point to Voltaire, I think. But there's a there's a, a well, you know, I, this is a translation issue we need to to think about. Um, I don't think we can resolve it, but it is in the French. Um, there is uh, the word rêve, which means a dream, as in uh, what a dreamy person you are. Or uh, I always dreamed of growing up to be fill in the blank. But the other word for dream in French, which is just that alternate reality in which we sometimes find ourselves, is songe. And in fact, in the original French, it is songe de Platon, not rêve de Platon. And the Republic is one of the songe of Plato, not one of the rêve of Plato. So mm -hmm. you may well be right that that there's an implicit critique that that the Republic is uh, is silly. Uh, but I don't think that the French originals support it doesn't support that just in the language. There may be other things you see there. So one of the one, one of the ones uh, I mean, what I, what I like about this is when you're reading it. You're so you're you're in sympathy with the uh, with the the critiquer of Demogorgon's world, and then of course Demogorgon says, "Hey, what about your Jupiter, huh?" And, and then they go on to make all the similar problems with the other worlds, which of course uh, we know nothing about it at the time of Plato, and very little about it at the time of Voltaire, except that you know it, they're probably not very hospitable to life as humans know it. Um, but there's this this really interesting way of really showing what's wrong with the arguments of Earth being, you know, a place of deserts and and uh, poisons and such, because it goes like this: um, I have no I have no fault to find with your cows, your sheep, your cocks, and your hens, all domesticated animals, right? Yeah. But can never rec be reconciled to your serpents and your spiders. Well, that's because you don't know what serpents and spiders can do for us at this time, perhaps. Um, your onions and artichokes, two things that are, of course, uh, delectable, are very good things. But I cannot conceive what induced to you to scatter such heaps of poisonous plants over the face of the earth, other than we can use them as uh, drugs <laughs> to fight diseases and, um, uh, you know, to manufacture other goods. Um, unless it was to poison its inhabitants. So it's the lack of imagination on the part of the, the critiquer in, in this argument, uh, in the argument I'm making, not, not that it's in here, but at least not implicitly, that shows what's wrong with the idea of uh, just sort of attacking the fact that uh, some places have uh, a lack of water and that kills the people who travel through them. It, it's it's sort of a lack of perspective, and what I like about it is because it goes from the uh, micro perspective of Plato sitting around, you know, discussing, telling his students the dream he had last night, to the outer view of uh, a bunch of students of the god, the demiurgos, creating uh, the universe. He gives a bunch of his sort of uh, undergraduates a a, a bunch of uh, moldy mass in which to create their own little art projects. And then 
<laughs> comes the time of the grading, uh, everybody gets Fs, right? Yeah. Or at least C minuses. And then the the demiurgo says, your works will not, don't worry, your works will not endure above 100 million years, after which you will acquire more knowledge and perform much better. It belongs to me alone to create things that are perfect and immortal. You know, to, I, I, I see a lot of what you're saying there, and I agree with it. I agree with it. I think, though, we, it's worth putting this thing in historical context. In 1756, when this was written, um, the majority view in the Christian world was that the earth was created in 4004 BCE, um, which means that when Demiurgos says that your world will last a mere 100 million years, <laughs> Demiorgos is saying, you guys are going to do, this is incredible, this is great. But of course, from my own viewpoint, since I'm eternal, um, having to do with perfect geometry and so on, even 100 million years looks like it's very little. Um, so I'm trying to take an agreement with what you're saying, Jesse, and, and cast it into yet another nesting where if you have the right imagination, Demiorgos' Demi imagination, you realize that even 100 million years is too limited in imagination, although 100 million years is incredibly hard to imagine if you think the entire world is less than 6,000 years old. Um, so there, there's a lot of that going on. Obviously, ecology has not come along at this point. It would be amazing for people to uh, to ask, uh, to say to themselves, well, you know, what are spiders good for? But the answer to the question of theodicy, you know, why is there evil in the world? If you believe in God, there are, there are certain kinds of answers. If you are a free thinker, as Voltaire seems to be by placing all of this in Plato's world, um, then it's not. It's just the way it is. And so that, you know, you woke up. Plato is not really had a dream, right? Plato, Voltaire is having Plato claim he had a dream just the way Plato has Socrates having stories that he tells. But the point of it here is to realize, as you say, that we need more imagination, not less, mm -hmm. to, to deal with the inherent imperfection of the universe. And, and but, you know, you and I are doing acts of interpretation here and and we start from somewhat different points. We come a little closer together. We learn from each other. Translation itself is an act of interpretation to translate sans and rêve in the same word um, does something. Well, I've got to tell you, um, let me ask, did you take the time to or did you have the occasion to read this in the original? No, I am not. Uh, I'm not fluent enough in French to well, appreciate. I got, well, I got to tell you something here, and I I don't think that we'll be able to discuss it at length. But I found something quite amazing to me. What's that? What's that? It, it's not just that crime is that that fault is translated as crimes instead of instead of faults. Um, when Demo Gorgon replies to the sneerer. You know, to the guy who's been ridiculing him. And he says, as for you, my sneering friend, I think you have just finished the planet Jupiter. And then he talks about how Jupiter and its failings. Mm -hmm. That's not the original. Oh. In the original, he says, you have just finished Mars. Ah. Uh. And, in fact, the description that follows about how there 
there are moonless nights because at this time, the, Mar the moons of Mars had not been discovered is accurate scientifically for 1756, just as the four Copernican moons of Jupiter were all that were known about Jupiter in 1756. The translator didn't just write down the wrong, the wrong planet. Mm -hmm. He actually carried through the description so that it fit. And then later when it says, and the others who had made the other planets, and it names them, where Jupiter had been down below, it says said Mars, and so on. He, he adjusted the language so mm -hmm. that this would come out to have Jupiter as the planet created by the guy who has been sneering at the creator of Earth. Now, Jupiter, of course, is, is the king of the gods. And I can't help but wonder if the translator was trying to make something special here from his or her view mm -hmm. of what Plato's dream should be understood as. So we have we have a story that you and I have read. And then there's this this other story that apparently Voltaire wrote. And we could say the same things about our indecisions and inabilities in relation to Voltaire as we do in relation to whoever has appropriated Voltaire to create this translation, which makes a rather huge shift, but the implications of which require us to just go on and on and on and on. In other words, the translation, if you read the original, also demonstrates the the flaws or for a translator, maybe the crimes um, of what it means to be in the human condition. No doubt several large volumes and great number of pamphlets could be written on this topic. Because, Smart sayings and witty repartees can fly about on all sides. Which is, <laughs> which is Voltaire saying, as you and I always do, there's always more to say. <laughs>